Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Man, Pastor Barry's right. It's hot. It's officially warm now. But I'm thankful for everyone who, who you made your way here. You're going to survive the heat going home. I think the summer is always a really interesting time here in, in the valley, right? Because you have friends, but you're not really sure where they're at unless you have social media, right? And then you're like, okay, you're here and you're there. But this one, I'm really thankful. You know, I had people even texting me this morning just saying like, hey, pastor, excited to like be with our family online. And uh, I, I do really want to honor everyone who joins us online because I think that's a big thing. If you're on vacation, you're like, you know what? I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to be connected into what God is speaking to my, to my banner family. Uh, I, I just really honor you. So uh, can, we do, can we actually just together, can we make some noise and thank everyone who's joining us online this morning? We love you. And even, uh, even if you've been kind of in and out, you know, I, I get it. I, uh, I appreciate that this is a work day for me. So my in and out days are different days, but I understand getting away. Someone's like, are you worried people coming in? I was like, no, I'm also getting out of town. It's 8 billion degrees here. We're all going out of town, right? Uh, but just to let you know, God is doing some great stuff. Some big things are happening here. And I just want to give you guys a preview of a couple things that are coming up so that we can kind of stay aware together. Now, we just talked about the back to school bash. The other thing is we're going to be in the fall relaunching our Love the Block around the community near our new building and just going around and loving and praying for our new community. And so every week we're going to be out just engaging with the people in our community. And that was, that's a really special ministry to us here. And we saw God do some in, in just insane miracles. So we're going to be going back to that in the fall. I just want to give you like a heads up that that's coming uh, when it's done being 115, basically. Uh, the other thing is that we're starting a new thing called Dinner with a Pastor, and we just really want to clarify really the on-ramps to getting connected here at Banner Church. So there's two things that we're starting here. One of them is called Dinner with a Pastor, where you can just come have dinner with, with myself and Katie and any of the rest of our pastors who want to come hang out, and we're going to share a little bit about the vision. We're going to talk about the past, the present, and the future, our culture, all those kind of things. Just have a good time together. We'd love to hear your story maybe how you found the church, you know, all those things. But that's going to start on July 23rd. So you're going to see an announcement go out and a sign up. So if you haven't filled out that connection card, please do and put your email so that we can email you. And then check your spam if you have just like a heavy spam filter that thinks you just got an email from the hospital. Uh, it's Banner Church, not Banner Hospital. So you might have to bump it into your normal folder. But that's coming up on the 23rd. And then we have another thing called Serve 101, really talking about what does it mean to serve here, to be a part of the mission that's moving forward. So if you want to be a part of what God's doing here, that's what we're going to be launching that starting next month. So be looking for those. Love the block, dinner with the pastor, Serve 101. Then today... Uh, we actually are doing an open house for our new building. And by open house, I mean it's not like a potluck. It's an active construction zone with no air conditioning. So this is a swing by, check it out, and get lunch with your friends scenario. But I just wanted to give the opportunity for anybody who wanted to come check it out. I know some of you guys have come by, and some of you just by the nature of summer are like, where is it at? What is it? What does it look like? I think we have a picture of a—do we have it? We have a picture of the building. This is the building. 
It's an old grocery store. It's, uh, yeah, you can come by, take a picture. It still has all the original tile, the carniceria sign on it, you know, all that good stuff. It's a really cool spot. Um, but we are very excited about what God's going to do. So today, from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, uh, some of our team's going to be there, just doors open, ready to talk vision, uh, to pray together. Man, can I just tell you, there's so much spiritual opposition and battle going on. Our prayer team, our staff have just been praying and believing. If you didn't know, right down the street is a giant temple to a false god, and turns out, like— they don't like churches that serve the real God, right? So we know that our battle's not of flesh and blood. It, it's of spirit, and so we've just been praying and contending. So come by, pray with us, contend with us, believe with us, and uh, we're, we're excited for that. If you need the info, come talk to me. It went out in the email. So again, if you haven't got it, but you've given us your email, we have emailed you, uh, but we can email you again. Let us know or check your spam, whatever. But lots of things happening. Awesome, amen? Well, I want to I jump into the book of Joshua then, Joshua chapter 7. And I, I want to tell you that today is meant to be a day of encouragement for what I think could be a, actually a heavy message, but I believe that God uh, gives us an encouragement amidst it. And I think that that's important because I've been speaking to people. I think we're in, a, we're in a season and a moment, and a lot of people in this church, God has brought you because you've been going through some stuff, you've been walking through some stuff, and you maybe even in life have felt a little bit out of sorts and trying to find yourself and trying to find what that looks like. And God's called you here because I believe he has a great mission and a great vision for what he wants to do in the valley. So if you felt a little... Uh, I don't know, out of breath or on the sidelines or a little weary. I just really believe God wants to encourage you and say, listen, let's get rid of everything that would hinder and let's run the race well and see something incredible happen. So I just want to honor you for being here. I want to honor you for being a part of this church family. I want to honor you if you, if you made a step today to make somebody more than a face and you actually got to know them or maybe afterwards you're just going to get to know them and get to know their name. I just, I really honor you because I believe God wants to encourage you. So Joshua chapter 7. Now last week, uh, Pastor Barry talked about Jericho and the really unusual plan that God gave the people of Israel to take the fortress, the city of Jericho. And he said, here's what you're going to do. If you, if you weren't here last week, here's what you're going to do, Israel. You're going to march around it for seven days in total silence. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times, and then you're going to shout, you're going to blow trumpets. And when they did this, the walls fell down. And now, th this isn't a military strategy. This isn't about frequency. This isn't about eroding hillsides with foot traffic. It, it, it was truly and completely about trusting and glorifying God. How many of you know that when we trust in God and we obey God, we glorify God, right? But God had given a command back in Joshua chapter 6 that I think is important for us today. He says, when the city falls and you go in, he gives them a command. He said, in Joshua chapter 6 verse 17, he said, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. He said, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, 
you take up any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Joshua chapter 6 and 7 is a really interesting um, portion of Scripture. Actually, all of Joshua is. Because it's part of a whole set of moments where God calls his people to basically wipe from the face of the earth men, women, and children of other nations. And when you read commentaries or things about it, some people have said this is really the, 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 a, a huge struggle point with the Old Testament. It's like, why would God call his people to wipe out entire, I mean, it, you, know, you could pick a language for it, right? But entire groups of people. And, and I think it's important that we understand this as a sticking point because God did not call Israel to wipe out all nations. And he did not call them to wipe out all nations all the time. And he did not call them to continually wipe out nations. He very specifically called them to wipe out, to, uh, to destroy very specific nations at a very specific time for a very specific reason. And to understand that reason, we have to understand these cultures. And we have to understand what God was desiring to do. See, the Canaanite culture, basically the major areas in this, uh, the ma major cultures in this area that they were going into were incredibly wicked. Like, incredibly wicked. When I, when I did a series of Angels and Demons, I don't know if you guys were here, we did a series called Angels and Demons, and I talked about the, the demonic role as, as gods, you know, small g, over certain cultures. And we talked about Nephilim, we talked about demons, we talked about, like, everything possible about uh, angels and demons. But in that, one of the, the big points was in the, the, in the ancient Near East, in this culture, and in Canaanite culture, there were... There were certain nations that were directly linked to demonic authority and leadership. Are you still with me? So there were certain nations whose, whose leader, whose king, and, and supernatural authority, they weren't considered separate. It wasn't like demonic power and then our king. They were considered linked. They were, when we, when we think of like, oh, the king thought he was a god, it's like, yes, because the king, those kings believed that they were linked with this supernatural authority that we know is demonic. And so when the Old Testament talks about the, the forces that are over nations, the, the, the small g gods, what it's talking about is these demonic powers and authorities that rested over the nations and that people worshipped with some of the most horrific and abhorrent things that you could ever imagine. Are you still with me? This is a really heavy setup for a good thing, but follow me. The people of these nations would worship these demonic powers, these uh, cultic gods— in horrific ways. And I won't tell you all of them, but I'll tell you some of them. Prostitution was a big one. Even the prostitution of children. Incest. A variety of homosexual practices. Adultery. Bestiality. And the biggest one was child sacrifice. 
And I'm, I'm not just saying that there's biblical evidence, though there's profound biblical evidence for this. There's actually archaeological evidence that shows specifically child sacrifice was a massive part of the way they worshipped these gods, these Baals, Molech, whoever it is. It was a profound part of the way. In fact, as they began to move westward, or as they began to move um, eastward toward, towards Carthage, as they began to move, you see uh, an attrition, a, a, a collection of graves of children as they would sacrifice infants, unborn, you know, young children, all, all varieties of things, which I feel like, and again, I know I didn't ever imagine I would live in a culture where this was countercultural, but I just, for the record, killing children is demonic. And so there's historical evidence that these cultures that God is calling, the place that he's calling them, these demonic powers had come into the land of Canaan and had set up authority, had set up dominion, and God is calling the people of Israel to go into the land that he had promised them and to remove these demonic powers and to remove the worship of them. See, God desired to preserve the holiness of the land and of his people. And even if a piece of that demonic worship stayed, there was going to be a problem. Right? If you've ever read Exodus or Leviticus, if you've ever read the journey of the people of God, you know that they already struggled to worship Baals in the desert. And if you've read anything after Joshua, then you might know as well, they struggled to worship the Baals again because they didn't actually get rid of everything. That the history of Israel is a history of serving and worshiping these occultic gods in horrific, horrific ways. And so God is right at the beginning drawing a line or revealing a line, let's say, between good and evil. He says if it's devoted to evil, then it's devoted to destruction. And it's devoted to, to righteousness, it's devoted to God. Are you with me? And so he sends them in Joshua chapter 7 into the city and says, listen, don't touch any of this stuff, right? He's teaching his people. Don't touch any of this stuff that's devoted to destruction or else you will be devoted to destruction. Seems pretty clear. Well, Joshua chapter 7 verse 1. But the people of Israel, but the people of Israel should be like the tagline of the Old Testament. It's like, but God, and then like, but the people of Israel. <laughs> but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah in the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Okay, I want to read to you Joshua chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, follow along with me. If you have it on your phone, follow along. If not, just listen. I didn't make them put all 26 verses here on the, on the screen because I wouldn't do that to our tech team. But I just want to read this because it's all one thing, and I, I think we need to understand what's happening here. So Achan took some of the devoted things. And verse 2 says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethayan, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So Joshua sends spies, which is always a roll of the dice with the people of Israel. But they seem to have learned their lesson because they came back and said, hey, we got this. 
And if you've ever been in a we got this scenario, you know sometimes you don't got this, right? So chapter four, or verse four says, so about 3,000 men went up from the, from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. So the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them as far as the gate of Shabarim and struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So here you have people who just took one of the toughest fortresses in the land, right? Without losing anybody, without really firing a shot, so to speak. And now 36 of them, which isn't necessarily a, a, a ton when you're thinking in the thousands, but it should have been none, right? And so they flee. And so verse 6, this is Joshua's response. Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. It says he and the elders of Israel. So not just him, but he and everybody else. So they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of these Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Basically, God, why did you do this to us? He's very confused, but he's seeking the Lord. And verse 10 says, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? It's kind of that, why are you mad at me, right? When I think of my kids. Like I tell my kids, like, hey, don't touch that. I've been teaching my son Henry to cook. And the number one rule when you're cooking is like, that pan is hot, don't touch it. And then your kids touch it, and they look at you like you did something. You're like, don't look at me. You're the one who touched fire. That's your fault. You can feel it's hot from a distance. Right? It's like, what? No, I, this, this isn't on me. This is on you. And this, this is a little bit what God says. He says in verse 11, he says, Israel sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become, and look at the language, devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Look at this. God says, I'm not going to force you to be in covenant with me. I laid the conditions of my covenant. You agreed. You violated the covenant relationship. This is called the mess around and find out principle, right? I set the covenant. You agreed, and you violated literally like first city that we got in. And so listen, I, I'm not, I will not support unrighteousness. So if you want to go fight, you can, but I'm not with you. You're just like the Canaanites. So here's what he tells them to do. He says, verse 13, you still with me? He says, get up, consecrate the people and say, and this is going to sound familiar if you've been with us during the series, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, or consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes shall take, or that the Lord takes by lot, shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man, and he who who is taken with devoted things shall be burned 
with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Look at that. God gives the plan. He says, consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow, we're going to find out. Right? Consecrate. Purify yourselves. Prepare yourselves. I find it interesting that in that purification, no one comes forward, right? It says, you got a day. You have a day. Man, I can't even imagine. I, I just had this thought as I, I've been reading through it. It's like, what would we do if you heard from the Lord and he was like, hey, get ready, because tomorrow every hidden sin in your life is going to be revealed. Be like, okay, I got some stuff to do today, right? <laughs> It'd be a rough day. It'd be a great life after that, though, maybe. I don't know. So it goes forward the next day, and I just want to skip down to chapter 19 because the whole thing happens. Achan gets called out. It's just a repeating of what we just read. And Joshua says to Achan, after he gets called out through this process, says, My son, give glory to the, God, to, to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. Tell me now what you've done and don't hide it from me. And so in verse 20, Achan answers Joshua and says, Truly, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent, right? He buried them with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, verse 22, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was... Behold, it was hidden in his tent with silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua, all of these, these riches, and the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, follow this, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his donkeys, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And then he says, and all Israel stoned him with stones. It says, they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. <sighs> All right, well, let's keep going. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, today, that place is called the Valley of Achor. You're like, wow, stoned him with stones, burned him with fire, and stoned him with stones. Seems extreme, right? But if you notice, what did God say Achan had become? He become devoted to destruction, just like the Canaanites. And God does not have a double standard, right? He says, the judgment for being devoted to destruction is to come under destruction. And just like the Canaanites, you're aligning themselves. Remember, he said Rahab at the beginning, he said she's given her heart to the Lord. She's changed her heart. She was a Canaanite, but she had become devoted to God, and so she was freed. But Achan had sinned against God, become like the Canaanites, and so he was devoted to destruction. He thought, well, if I hide it... I don't know what he was thinking. God won't know. That kind of justified in secret rebellion against God. You know what that's called? It's called hidden sin. Here's the thing about hidden sin. It never stays hidden. It never stays hidden. Here's four principles of hidden sin really quick. Ready? These are the heavy four. And then there's, there's a good three. So here, stay with me. <laughs> Hidden sin has consequences. I know. We're like, no, you can do whatever you want. There's no consequences. No, hidden sin has consequences. Israel goes up to Ai to fight, but because of hidden sin, God's presence is not with them. 
And so they lose and are scattered, and 36 men are killed. Because, okay, follow me. Because of Ai's decision, 36 families did not see their husband or their father or their son return to them. 36 families did not see their loved one return because of Ahab, or Achan's, Ahab, Achan's greed. Now, I know that our, our, our culture, like, shirks it and, and shrinks at this. Like, how could God, how could God kill his family? And how could he command this? How could he do that? But here's the reality. We just need to realize this. Hidden sin has consequences, whether you like it or not. I know it's not, like, not the most encouraging thing I've ever said, but it's true. Like, we live in a culture that doesn't like consequences. We live in a culture that says, like, we think we're very siloed as individuals. We're like, what does it matter what I do as long as I'm not hurting anyone? Have you ever heard that? What does it matter what I do? I'm not hurting everyone. And it does matter because you're not an island. You live, you're part of a culture. It matters what you do, right? It matters what you do before God. It matters to God. Why? Because you matter to God. And God will not celebrate sin, right? God desires holiness. It matters to God. But it also matters in our community because what you do has an effect on the world around you. A Aiken's hidden sin, he might think, well, who does that really hurt? I'm just taking like a coat and some bar of gold, but it hurt the whole community, right? You say, well, death is so severe for him. I, I don't know. It feels like a fair court-martial to me. If you get 36 people killed, I don't know. Right? There's a sense of justice in what God is doing. Because of his hidden sin, the whole community suffered. The entire community was removed from God's presence or God's favor. And in fact, his whole family suffered. And this is what flies in the face of Western thinking. But here's the reality. Like, as a father, I know that what I do has consequences on my family, regardless of if they know it or not. Fathers, right? What you do has consequences for your children, whether they know what you're doing or not, right? Not a lot of amens in that, but that one's true too. And so in Joshua 7, God has the same standard for Israel and the Canaanites, and they become, that family becomes devoted to destruction. Hidden sin always has consequences. If you're telling yourself in your mind right now, hidden sin doesn't have consequences, it always has consequences. Second thing, hidden sin hinders spiritual growth. That's what we're seeing in the Old Testament here. Achan's sin caused God's favor to depart. Now, this is a little different than how we interact with the Lord as those who have received uh, salvation through Jesus Christ. So, in a way, I'm, I just want to speak to the Old Testament quality here, that Achan's sin caused God's favor to depart, and now Israel as a whole community was devoted to destruction because they had not obeyed God and they had hidden sin. This is the problem with hidden sin, is we think that we're like managing it, but really it's just tearing away at our relationship with God. Right? Eden, they sinned. What's the first thing they tried to do? Hide. Hide. Which is not really like, how could you hide from God? There's two people in God. That's it on the earth. <laughs> right? He doesn't have time to look for you. Like he made earth. But come on, people are people, right? Since the beginning, right? Sin, and we try to hide it. See, it tears at spiritual growth. Why? Because spiritual growth requires intimacy and relationship, right? Any covenant relationship requires intimacy, right? Marriage, that there, you need intimacy. But when you violate covenant, you tear apart intimacy. 
And even if the other person doesn't know, because your actions will change, your heart will change, your attitude will change, your approach will change, and it will begin to tear away at intimacy. See, to grow in Christ requires intimacy, and hidden, and hidden sin is basically man's way of saying, I reject that intimacy of God. God is not rejecting us. God is not turning from us. We are rejecting God when we say, I choose this thing I have hidden under my tent more than God. And you know what happens, church? Is as we do that, as we, we, we hide those sins, what happens time and time again is that people come into the church and they say, I just, I just feel really judged. I usually tell people, if you're feeling, you know, they say, I just feel judged. I'm like, well, first of all, no one knows what's happening because if you've hidden it, you've not told them, no one knows. The fact that you think everybody knows and you feel judged by them is called conviction, <laughs> Right? And so what happens, I've seen this time and time again, is as we come near to God or near to the presence of God or people who spend time in the presence of God, we feel like, well, they're, they're judging us. And, and whatever it is, usually if there's a soft spot on you somewhere, we're like, ah, if that gets, if the pastor says, or if Pastor Barry's praying for me and he says something about that, and I'm like, I hate that, I don't like that. Usually there's a reason, right? <laughs> I'm hiding something under there. There's a wound under there. I got it bandaged up really good, but there's something under there that needs to get healed. And so we, we sense that. We say, oh, people are judging us, but really we just feel convicted. Because if people knew what you were facing, you'd have to repent and you'd be free. So when you say, well, everyone knows, well, they can't know because then you'd be called to repentance. But we live in this space, and what happens is we begin to tear away from the people who really love us to go near the people who allow us to be, you know, walking in abandon in that sin. And so we grow farther from God, and we, go, we grow farther from the people who love us and who care for us. And so God tells his people, listen, consecrate yourself because tomorrow we need to bring this thing into the light, right? We need to bring this thing into the light. Like I said, just imagine if God told you, hey, purify your heart because tomorrow I'm going to reveal the hidden sin. Like just imagine if I was like, church, next week, get ready. God's going to reveal any hidden sin in this church. No one's coming. <laughs> and yet, it would be the hardest week of the church probably it would be rough. You'd be walking through some stuff for some of you guys, right? But I bet we'd see revival because we'd begin to take off masks. Our hearts would be purified. See, unmasking hidden sin, this is the third thing, requires confession and repentance. Joshua's response, right, was to fall on his knees and seek God's guidance. That's true leadership, right? And he identifies the sin and he confronts Achan. And Achan's brought forth, and he's told to confess. And Joshua says something really interesting. He says, he calls it praise God. Praise God with your confession. Right? When we confess, it glorifies God. When we repent before him, it's an act of saying, you know what? I've been worshiping something else, but now I choose to worship you. It's, in fact, the very first act of worship is repentance. Hear me, church. Healing and restoration cannot begin until sin is brought to the light. Healing never happens in darkness. It's always in the light. And healing never happens in deception, only in truth. If we want to unmask that hidden sin, if we want to begin to be free of it, in order for Israel to be free of it, they had to confess and repent. Because the fourth thing, dealing with hidden sin leads to restoration. Dealing with hidden sin leads to restoration. Now for Achan, it led to judgment, because that's the covenant that he's under. So for him... It's, it's a whole mixed bag, right? 
for the people of Israel, they're restored. Joshua 8.1, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Don't fear, don't be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai and see I've given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. Look at verse 2. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, only its spoil and its livestock you shall take for plunder for yourself. Lay ambush against the city behind it. This is what I love. They, they repent. God restores his people into, they, they were, their hearts are restored into right standing with God. And he says, listen, this was never really about robes or shirts or gold ingots, right? This was always about, will you follow me? Will you obey me? Or will you worship something else, right? Will you worship me with your life? Will you trust me? Or will you just try to get what's yours when you can, how you can get it? Will you trust me, Israel? Because if you turn and you repent, right? Second Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive them and heal their land. God's like, listen, if you would turn and obey me, then you would be walking in right standing with me. And because of that, you're going to see favor. Amen? And that was his call to the people of Israel. See, dealing with that hidden sin, restored an intimacy, restored the covenant, it restored his people, it, removed, it renewed their lives, their faith, and their promise. Now, this had to come through a judgment and a sacrifice of this moment that was pretty profound, but I'm very thankful that today we live uh, with the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross as a reality in our life. That we are not under an old covenant. That we don't need to, you know, sacrifice lambs. That we need to sprinkle that. I don't know about you, but I, I, mean, I love studying the Old Testament, but I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm just going to say as a blanket thing, o OT law, I'm not making it in. I just I feel confident of that. <laughs> like, it is, I mean, it's a lot of work. But Christ teaches us still, though different in the application, still true in the principle that we must deal with hidden sin, church. I think one of the problems in the church is that we're not seeing revival is that we're not seeing purity. And that we're living in a space where we are allowing things to root underneath. We're like, look at this great tree, but underneath are all these little weevils eating the roots. And eventually they fall over and everyone goes like, what happened? Right? We need to deal with hidden sin. So there's things that I believe Christ has called us to so if you're freaking out and you're like, I don't want to get stoned with stones and burned with fire and stoned with stones, don't worry. <laughs> That's not the path of God on this. God wants to restore his people. Jesus wants to restore you, right? Jesus wants to restore you. Here's how he wants to restore you. Still with me? Here's how he, how he wants to restore you. There we go. Embrace the promise of transformation. Follow me here. Embrace the promise of transformation. Jesus says, come as you are, right? He invites us to come. Come. Come into my presence. Come receive. Come eat, all who are hungry. Come drink, all who are thirsty, who cannot pay, right? Come. Come in. But, he says, be transformed in a new life. It's not come as you are, stay as you are. It's come and be transformed. There's a promise through Jesus of transformation for your life. Think of it like this. Picture a, a barren field. I don't know if you've driven around on the outskirts of town recently, but, you know, in the summer, some of them are either growing corn or they're just like totally blank, right? 
But I don't know if you've ever seen a barren field that's been barren for a long time, and there's like every crazy bit of weed you could imagine, and thorn, and just like, it's crazy how the weeds will just take it back in like a month and a half, right? If, if somebody's not cultivating, it's just covered in weeds and thorns, and I don't know, there's like animals have set up camps in there, I don't know what's happening, but they, they begin to take it back over, and it just, it just gets depleted and depleted and depleted. And I think of that barren field, like full of weeds and thorns, really representing our lives in a state of hidden sin. And so when we come to Jesus and we offer him this kind of neglected and unfruitful field, Jesus, the uh, loving, cultivating farmer that he is, takes ownership of it and he begins to work. And with that tender care of Jesus Christ, he begins clearing away the weeds. He begins pulling the thorns. He begins preparing it for planting. He begins to transform this place of destruction into a place that can sustain life. He begins to remove the, the inrooted weeds of sin and pull those thorns away, right? And wind them on a crown on his head and take them to the cross, right? So that we might be free. He begins to pull those things away. And there, there's a transformation that is promised when we begin to follow Christ. It's not come, stay, we're just going to celebrate whatever you're stuck in. No, it's saying we're going to recognize brokenness but celebrate healing, Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what's the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. I love that. A renewing of your mind. Be transformed by a renewing of your mind. That your mind would be changed. That you would break from the patterns of sin. That you would begin to see those weeds uprooted that have taken root in your mind and your thinking. Transformation is a promise from Jesus. And this morning, just everyone needs to know that if you're here, the promise of transformation is for you. That Jesus changes everything. That he changes our life. That he can change our thinking and what we've been bought into and being a slave to sin and moved into children of righteousness. Second thing, number two, invite Jesus to illuminate hidden sin. Well, this one's hard, right? It's kind of nice when it stays hidden because you don't have to deal with it, right? <laughs> it's like that one closet in your house. Right? That's just when you're cleaning, it becomes the dump all of everything else. But you know someday you're going to have to clean that closet. Right? You know someday. Like maybe it starts spilling out and you're like, well, I guess today's the day we have to do it. And then as you're cleaning, you're like, why didn't I do this when it wasn't messy? Why didn't I do this when it would have been easier? Why did I make it so hard and so hard and more and pile it on when I should have just said, you know what? what what's going on in here? You know what? That closet needs to get cleaned out. And I know it's scary, but it's important. There's no healing in the dark. It has to be brought into the light. Think of that barren field again. How many of you guys really love corn? How many of you guys like big, I've noticed people love corn, right? Right? Okay, pause. We're going to pause on the seriousness of this sermon and just say, how many fans of corn do we have here? Okay. All right. A lot of fans of corn. You know there's some things you can't grow corn in. The dark. That's one of them. Right? <laughs> it needs to be in the light. Also, a field full of weeds. Right, having, having uh, been around corn a good portion of my life, I tell you, you need to weed the fields, right? It can't grow in weeds. It can't grow in the dark. 
Church, we need to uproot those weeds that would choke out what God wants to bring forth through us, a new life in him. Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's our prayer. Lord, search my heart. See, revival starts with revelation and repentance. God, reveal to me what I need to lay down before you. Revival begins with taking a knee before the Lord and saying, God, I, I give you everything. Here's everything in my heart, in my life. Here's my attitude. Here's my frustrations. Here's my sin. Here's the things I'm holding back. I give it all to you. I just, I, I don't care what's happening in the, in the audio or the video. I don't care what's happening in the, in the systems. I, I just want to be here on my knees before you and I want to give you everything because I need you to illuminate this. I need you to reveal and I need to repent because I know that from there comes freedom and healing. See the third thing this morning that, that Jesus invites us to engage with is to experience the freedom of forgiveness. Church, when we repent, God forgives. This is why it's crazy that we hold things longer than we need to because when we repent, God forgives. He's forgiven us through Jesus Christ. See, go, go back to the field when the, when the farmer begins to pull away the weeds and, and the thorns and he begins to, to pull all those things away. He prepares the soil. He takes something that was a slave to destruction and he's not there to oppress it. He's not pouring weed seed down onto the ground and thorn seed down onto the ground. He's there to free it, to open it up to opportunity. See, when you come to Jesus, it's not so that he can oppress your soul. It's so that he can cultivate your soul, that he can uproot hidden sin and take us from slavery to thorns into freedom and purpose. Colossians 1 says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Everybody here today, everybody here today, each one of us, can receive forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. For those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and raised from the dead, you will receive forgiveness for your sins. It's freedom. See, dealing with hidden sin isn't suffering, though it can be tough. It's freedom. It's freedom in life. The fourth, what are we on? Third, fourth thing. Wow. Sorry. Stick with me. The fourth thing, number four here. Embrace the healing of restoration. See, some of us are good at beating ourselves up, but we're not good at embracing healing. We're good at recognizing illness. We're good at saying, yeah, I really stink. I'm not great. I got this going on. I'm the worst. But we really struggle to embrace healing and the healing of restoration. See, hidden sin destroys intimacy. It hinders spiritual growth. But when Jesus comes and we enter into that relationship with him and we surrender our heart to him, he restores us into a loving relationship. That's why 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you'd suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That sounds amazing, amen? Yes, we endure challenges and temptations, but God promises us healing and strength through Jesus Christ. See, what's amazing is in the process of removing hidden sin, which does not sound fun for a lot of people, God does something that sounds amazing, which is he himself restores us and makes us strong and steadfast. See, once the farmers begin to pull those thorns and remove the hindrances, he cultivates the soil, he breaks up hard ground, he prepares it for planting. 
And in his wisdom, he knows what to plant to bring a harvest. He knows to plant things that will not deplete, but will restore the land, that will make it healthy and strong, things that will renew it, things that will raise it up, things that will add back to it and bring it to life so that it can be healthy and strong. It can support good fruit. See, when Jesus promises to restore you, it's not just so that you'll stop being a problem or a bother to him. It's not just so that you can stop being an embarrassment to the kingdom or whatever horrible label you might put on yourself. It's because he has a great harvest for your life. He's got good things for you. He loves you. He created you. He celebrates you. He longs for you to be fruitful. And he says, listen, let me clear this. Let me restore it. I'm not just going to leave this thing barren. I'm not just going to leave it empty. I'm going to put some good stuff in that's going to renew you. I'm going to place my spirit upon you that's going to renew you and that's going to strengthen you. We don't have to be dead to hidden thorns, hidden sin. As sin is released, we're healed and we're made stronger. And the fourth thing, thank you guys for, for sticking with me here. Fourth thing, band, you guys can come up. Walk in the fullness of abundant life. Walk in the fullness. What do we do? We walk in the fullness of abundant life. Right? Not only do we embrace healing, not only do we, do we celebrate and walk in forgiveness, but we walk in the fullness of abundant life. So I love Joshua 8. Joshua 7 is like really heavy, but then Joshua 8, they go up and they have this plan, and God says in, in, in verse 1, he says, don't fear, don't be dismayed. Take up the fighting man. Go. I've given, I've given this all to you. I'm with you. I'm for you. My presence is with you. Yes, it, this was hard, but, but, but you can go up. And they went up, and they were victorious, but more important than the victory was God's presence with them. Remember when Moses prayed, God, don't send me here without your presence. Don't send me up here without your presence. I mean, I, I feel like I, I pray that driving around here on the motorcycle. God, don't send me out here without your presence. Right? <laughs> the way people drive, right? My mom prays that too, apparently. She nodded in approval. See, where there's repentance, there's restoration, and there's abundant life. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus longs for you to say, search my heart. He longs for you to live in the fullness. You know, I, the thief is the enemy here, but you know who sometimes the biggest thief of, of abundant life in my life is? Is me. Not being willing to lay down the things in my life and surrender them to God. It's like I'm stealing from my own future. I'm stealing from myself. It's like what I need to do is just like come to the altar and lay it down. Like nobody up here cares, right? We're just here to lay it down and to be free. When I think of that once barren field once the ground is restored the farmer comes in and plants good seeds of righteousness and truth in the field of our lives he sows seeds of love and forgiveness and kindness and faithfulness and through his word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit he nurtures and waters those seeds ensuring that they're going to take root and they're going to grow and as time goes, we begin to see signs of growth in our life. That once barren field transforms into a vibrant and fruitful place. The seeds of righteousness begin to sprout and they begin to produce a bountiful harvest of spiritual fruit. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They begin to abound in our lives. See, it's not, it's not just about not getting burned with fire, stone with stones. We're not living in that world, church. We're living in the world of abundant life. 
because through the farmer's patient and diligent work, our lives become a testament to his faithfulness and grace. We bring forth a harvest that not only benefits us, but it benefits and blesses those around us because the abundant fruit of our transformed lives point people to the goodness and the power of the one who cultivated and nurtured us. And that's where we're at this morning, church. Jesus, that, that loving farmer in this example, invites us to surrender the barren fields of our lives to him so that he can clear away the choking weeds and thorns of hidden sin so that he can plant seeds of righteousness and nourish us into fruitful disciples that we would become living testimonies not to our perfection but to his transforming power that we would bear fruit that would bring glory to his name. And it requires trust, it requires obedience, it requires willingness to surrender to that cultivation. And it begins first by saying, Jesus, would you search my heart and would you take these choking thorns and weeds of sin that I have allowed to occupy a corner or a place or the totality of my being? I wonder how many people come into church and walk out of church because they're afraid without, they walk out of church without receiving that freedom because they're afraid what people think. Right, like I'm gonna go to the altar and I'm just gonna give God my attitude. I feel like my attitude has just been so poor. I haven't really been trusting him, but like what if people think like, I'm up here with a hidden sin, like I killed somebody. I don't know, I don't know what they would think, right? <laughs> Come on, be honest. Like, How many people walk in and out of church every Sunday never having laid it down because they're afraid of what other people are going to think? Church, listen to me. We exist to rejoice over changed lives and see them live out transformation. There's no judgment here. There's only freedom for repented hearts. There's only freedom here. Amen? There's only freedom here. If you want to judge someone for getting free, you can get out. But it's only about freedom here. Hidden sin never stays hidden, but it can be healed today. I just believe we're at a point where the Lord is calling us, saying, I'm calling you to abundant life. If you would lay down your heart fully and completely. Would you stand with me this morning? Embrace the promise of transformation. Invite Jesus to illuminate hidden sin. Experience the freedom of forgiveness. Embrace the healing of restoration and walk in the fullness of abundant life. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.